So, mixed results this week. Mixed performances from a number of our favourite players. <laughs> yeah, I thought United were pretty excellent against Bruges. There was a little bit of defensive uncertainty early on, something we haven't seen all season, but uh, Memphis certainly seemed to enjoy the additional space he was provided by Belgian opposition. And then uh, Newcastle was just just long and slow and uh, not quite there, right? Yeah, so I guess we'll talk Bruges first, shall we? So uh, the positives. Uh, so, uh, yeah. well, eight minutes in and we, we get a, an own goal from Michael Carrick. Michael Carrick, looking his age in the, the 45 minutes he had against Bruges, I thought, didn't have a great half, hauled off at half-time by Van Gaal, scored a comedy own goal after eight minutes. Well, not quite a comedy own goal, but an own goal. But United came back into that game extremely strongly and, and Memphis was the star of the show. Two fine, fine goals from him. Oh, what do you mean Michael Carrick was bad? Michael Owen couldn't believe Michael Carrick had been taken off when he'd given the pass of the season to Memphis. A pretty regular average head height through ball. Uh, Memphis had to control it with his head, flick it over a player, beat a man and then smash it past the keeper. And Michael Owen said that goal was all about the pass from Michael Carrick. I was like, what's wrong with you, man? What is wrong with you? I know. Well, Owen was praising Hernandez and uh, Rooney as world-class forwards at the weekend. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to one of that pair in a, in a minute, I think. Um, although... He was quite quiet against Bruges as well, wasn't he? But let's not talk about Rooney. Memphis's two goals. um, We we were a little unsure about him playing in number 10. I I certainly was. He he doesn't look like he's a natural in that position. And Hull switches him out to the left and he does that. Bang! Twice. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the thing that everyone, not just us, but everyone has said about his first couple of performances is that you can see his inexperience against Premier League-style opposition because he just wants too much time on the ball well playing against a much more familiar style of opponent uh, meant that he had the time on the ball that he wanted and he was able to work absolute magic with it a, a truly truly superb couple of goals but two very different goals both absolutely brilliant and I mean you're right the standard of the opposition helps uh, they certainly didn't close him down and, and actually we saw when United played Newcastle at the weekend how narrow Newcastle defended and I, I think I said in our preview pod that I thought that would be a concern for United this season United are very very narrow it's actually quite easy to defend against that if you're half competent and I guess Bruges are not half competent. But it could have been a lot more difficult for United. Um, 2-1 going into, you know, deep into injury time. 2-1 looks a bit messy, doesn't it? Mm. Um, have a bad performance. Mm. Uh, the opposition nick a goal in Bruges and you're out of the Champions League. So 3-1 gives United a cushion. Hard to see Bruges winning 2-0, you'd think. So, you know, heavily indebted to Mara and Fellaini's late goal. Classic, classic plan B. The thing about that is, that is... Exactly what you want Fellaini in the squad for, right? If you've got Fellaini in the squad, that's exactly how you want to use him. Stick him on as a battering ram late in the game when you need something. And, you know, it would have been great to have him against Newcastle, frankly. Sadly and frankly. Well, look, you know what? I, I'm I'm not opposed to that idea. I, I actually think, um, you know, Hernandez might be the answer for the moment. We're going to have to have a longer discussion about Rooney, aren't we? But it's not a bad option to play Fellaini up there in this system where... You have a lot of players buzzing around a forward. Um, you know, he's he's got world-class chess control, hasn't he? So the one thing that he will definitely do if you played him there that Rooney won't is 
be you know tactically aware, stay where he's supposed to be, hold the ball up, and bring other players into play. That's what he does, and head goals. And and it was a, it was a very fine cross from Depay from Memphis as well, and a, and an excellent header. And just it was nice that Memphis topped the game off with an assist because he should have had a hat trick, shouldn't he? A word at this point about Luke Shaw's staggering performance uh, he was really good against Newcastle as well but the uh, moment when he made a mistake against Bruges and then switched on the afterburners and tore across the defence to uh, pick the ball up to rectify his mistake found himself on the right flank so instead of passing it and getting back into position just decided to run the ball the length of the right flank uh, knocked a ball into Rooney with fantastic flick back into the path of Memphis, like properly amazing ball from Rooney. And uh, Memphis just got a little bit excited and, and meant that we were denied one of the best goals ever scored at Old Trafford without hyperbole. Yeah, I mean, he's really come on this season, Luke Shaw. So, I mean, he's been very, very good in every single game, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that fitness camp uh, obviously really helped him uh, um, over the summer. And <clears throat> Damien on the other flank means that, you know, two United strongest positions now are the fullbacks. And we, we couldn't have said that last season by any means, could we? So um, it's a it's a real problem fixing. In fact, they, the whole of the back four, you know, that sort of early early period of the game aside uh, was, was solid again against Bruges, you know, uh, pretty much. I mean, D- Daley Blint has confounded criticism to date. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say he's still going to struggle against top-class opposition, but he could prove us all wrong there as well. And it's just looking like a fine unit. United just not conceding very many chances. Not not creating too many either, No, which is another problem altogether, although not against Bruce. There was a moment where Blint was uh, almost beaten for pace, by, which is obviously the thing everyone's concerned about with him. Maybe aerial presence as well. But the Bruce striker kind of went to peel off and it looked like, oh no, this is it. This is the moment everyone's been afraid of. But Blint just like with with one step and a bit of a lean uh, shoved himself back into position and kind of knocked the striker off the ball with kind of power and instead of instead of fighting over for pace. And he's just a very smart man, isn't he? He's just a very intelligent footballer and, and he's using that extremely well. And Chris Smalling's covering for the kind of more rugged physical defensive stuff. And it's uh, it's working to the extent where if Rocco was back to full match rhythm, I'm not sure I would want to disrupt this partnership, except maybe up against the very best. So Blint really has proven his doubters wrong so far. Yeah, well, look, let, let's just just a touch of realism on that one. So on um, on the opening day of the season. Against Spurs, Spurs really were unable to get enough of the ball in midfield to get it up to Harry Kane to to test Blint's presence. Actually, you know the the real the real thing is noticeable, and I wonder whether this is just you know United being so solid. But you'd think that the ball to the back post from a left wing cross would be the thing that would really find Blint out. Mm. Um, and his defensive instincts are fine, but he's not going to be a six foot two inch striker in the air, right? Who's got to run on him? And none of our opposition today have managed to do that. And, you know, that's partly because United have got the buy of the summer in Darmian, but also because of Juan Mata's transformation from being a bit flaky defensively to being absolutely rock solid and doing all the work that, you know, that got him kicked out of Chelsea, basically. <laughs> so, Or doing the work that he didn't do at Chelsea. So, you know, in a way, United have stopped the, the supply for their biggest weakness at the back. You know, over the long piece, I'm still going to pick the defender in there. 
over over Blint. Um, but you know, um, Jay on the blog this week did a statistical analysis of you know uh, pass completion and possession percentage. Uh, over goals scored and chances created and shots created. And, and his argument is that having Blint in there is more important for Van Hal in Van Hal's philosophy, at least, than having a real defender in there simply because of the, the use of the ball. And we, we've seen that, haven't we, right? You know, Blint is completely comfortable coming out and he's a very, very good passer at the ball, completely comfortable coming out of the back four and starting attacks for United. Uh, he, his indeed was the assist for Depay's second goal. Right. Um, so that was that was just pure, you know, there's no none of our other defenders would have well none of our actual defenders would have made that pass and it's this thing that comes from there's this quote in a book called Louis Van Gaal and the philosophy of the Ajax coaches that was written many years ago that he, where Van Gaal says the number 10 isn't a true playmaker anymore because there's never enough space around him uh, the real playmakers are center halves because they've got space and you know it's very clear that this is uh, you know last season when when everyone was asking what is van gaal's philosophy one thing we know about van gaal's philosophy for sure is that center backs are ball players they're extremely important in ball possession of of us as well as uh, their role during ball possession of opponent yeah, well yeah i mean it's an interesting commentary about the the number 10 role because of course you know the the true natural number 10 in the united squad is one matter and he's he's playing from this sort of false right winger position where he cuts inside and and certainly in in attacking situations he's he's perfectly free to come inside and he's sparking off a lot of United's attacks um I mean he had something like five shots against Newcastle and you know he, he can still play that role coming in off the right finding some space and and trying to create for United the, the problem becomes when especially away from home when he's he's a bit wide and got more defensive responsibilities and you can just get a little bit isolated out there. So it's a real trade-off for United at the moment because we're, we're playing with a player in Yanazai who's A, not quite fit yet and still finding his match rhythm and B, not really a natural 10. I mean, he, he might find that, but at the moment he's still a bit bursty, so he's losing the ball a lot in the attacking third, which I'm sure is not pleasing Van Hal at all. So, you know, definitely a few compromises made in the attack. Initially it was Memphis. He's moved out to a position he's much more comfortable in, which will help, which has helped. But an interesting debate about who is United's creative fulcrum there. What, one other thing to say about that, of course, is that Van Hal has been very conservative with his two in midfield. It's been Carrick and Schneiderlin and Schweinsteiger, or the last Carrick and Schweinsteiger kind of job sharing at the moment, aren't they? And it just feels a little conservative. And against Newcastle, it went even more conservative when Carrick came on after an hour for Schweinsteiger because Schweinsteiger was actually playing quite far forward. Yeah, um, I guess it's it's unfortunate the way around these games have gone because there's an awful lot of good stuff to say about our performance against Bruges and I guess there's still some good stuff to say about our performance against Newcastle. Uh, I'd like to do this backwards and get the kind of bad stuff out of the way first and then maybe talk about some of the positives at the end of uh, at the end of this discussion. That's all right with you, Ed. Sure. A frustrating day at the office for United. It was, yeah. It was frustrating because actually United created quite a few chances, 20 shots uh, against Newcastle, some very poor finishing, uh, and um, which which didn't help, of course, and, and some rugged defending from Newcastle. I mean, they... They did the thing that they had to do, which was defend pretty deep uh, and close in the back four. And it meant that Memphis had very little space. So um, a couple of shots from Memphis where he cut in off the left and tried to shoot with blocks, as you'd expect, playing that system. And, and Wan Mata is not a player about to go around the outside. So 
uh, he cut inside all the time into a cluster of defenders. So in a way, United played into Newcastle's hands. In a way, it was just a bit lax, lax finishing. In a way, it just highlighted and hate to get on a bandwagon of Rooney bashing because, you know, I've never done that before. But it, it just highlighted how desperately United needed a proper centre forward because we have a guy here who was supposed to play in one tactical position at centre-forward, the one he claimed is his best and he can score 25 goals from, and he just wandered all over the pitch. I mean, the the level of tactical indiscipline was incredible, and, and Van Hal just won't point it out. I, does he not see it? Uh, because it's really obvious to even amateur coaches like us, or, or is he just not willing to say it publicly? But it's a real problem for United. Yeah, there was a hilarious moment in that game during the first half where there was a counter-attack and there weren't too many of those, so they were pretty important when they came. And Yanazai kind of picked the ball off Mata's feet and ran with the ball directly at the heart of uh, Newcastle's defence. And Juan Mata and Wayne Rooney peeled off either side of him to give him options, but were so much slower than him that by the time he got to the position where he wanted to release the ball, he looked round and he had to stop, turn back and knock it sideways to them because neither of them were able to get ahead of him and Memphis wasn't involved in that counter-attack and it just showed how problematic the balance is talk about the balance of selection but the balance of United's attack it's not working at the moment Mata was came inside an awful lot as you said we were very narrow I thought Mata looked miserable yesterday that was my take on him from sort of facial expressions and body language and stuff I don't know maybe that's nothing maybe maybe he's always like that but he just looked really cross that he was kind of doing quite a lot of pointing and he just didn't look like he was having a good time. Mm. Well, you know, he's he's a step ahead mentally than the rest of the players. So I, I think what will happen is that Van Gaal will finally get a speedy right winger, you know, the one that he didn't buy this week, that he definitely never, never, ever wanted at all, ever. Yeah, we'll have a chat about transfers. Yeah. So, so you know, the speedy right winger will probably come in. You know, they'll throw a bunch of bids around and hope something sticks in the, the final week of the transfer window. So, And then when Mata will be on the bench, and it'll be a real shame because he's still United's most creative player. And he's he's not the the biggest problem in United's side by a mega stretch. And, uh, you know, it's Van Gaal, I'm afraid, just produces functional sides. I mean, it was... I think it's um, in Jamie Jackson's book, uh, the, the passage was going around. I haven't read it. I know you have uh, about Van Gaal and one of the criticisms that he produces nothing but functional sides. Well, it's true and it's playing out at United. And I think you can kind of predict some of the, the likely changes in the squad when, when Van Gaal is able to do it. So we'll likely get a system where he's playing two holding and two speedy wingers buzzing around Wayne Rooney and maybe a speedster in the middle as well and not a not a creative player like Mata. Or or playing getting a speedy right winger would mean that he was able to play Mata at ten. Uh, which is not impossible. I, I think not not impossible, but he's barely ever trusted. Well him, yeah, but he's he hasn't had the personnel for the rest of the system. You know, so I don't think right now Matter's playing on the right because he doesn't trust Matter in the middle. I think Matter's playing on the right because he doesn't trust anyone else on the right. That's that's my sort of thinking about it. Maybe it's not either or. Maybe it's a bit of both of those things. But I think that's that's an argument that not many people are taking into consideration. Like Matter is playing the role that Van Gaal wants out of that wide person at the moment, right? So he's doing all that defensive work that we keep talking about and. So maybe that's why he's not in the middle. Maybe he played just seven times at number 10 for United last season. And, you know, 
that, that might have been a more natural role for him there last season as well. So I'm yet to yet to fully believe that, you know, if, if Van Gaal gets more personnel in, that Matter will come into the middle. I'm not sure that he, he trusts him there. He's already said he prefers a, a second striker than a third midfielder. So, but, I mean, Matt, Matt fits the bill of a second striker too, though, I think, given given how many goals he scored in his career. I'm not sure that that necessarily negates Matter from that role, does it? Maybe it does. Maybe you're right. I, you know, I just um, I just haven't heard anyone talking about the idea that maybe actually this is about lack of options on the right rather than lack of options in the middle. But Well, actually, Jay... At Datarent on Twitter, wrote a whole piece about uh, why United needed to buy a right winger rather than a striker. There you go, Jay, no doubt providing in depth and interesting analysis as he always does. The problems with our attack are not just system based, they're not just about the fact that the football's too slow, and they're not just about personnel, they're about the combination of the system and the personnel at the moment, I think. So uh, Rooney had a not good game against Newcastle. He he wasn't as bad as he was against Villa. Um, he he had a good ten minutes against Bruges as well. There was a there was a spell where it looked like he was almost coming to life, and it kind of faded as quickly as it arrived. And of course, uh, in the Newcastle game, he did very well for the goal that was disallowed uh, wrongly. You know, he held his run perfectly and and finished very well indeed and he he was really unfortunate that that was disallowed because you know he certainly needs that goal and and united I, i'm not sure it was wrong i mean I, i've seen a few replays of this now and uh, it looks like he's just off oh, okay uh, right fair enough then as van gaal said afterwards though when there is any doubt it is supposed to be the striker who gets the benefit of the doubt uh, nothing in the rules say that of course <laughs> but you know it's, it's one of those things that uh, is known in football except in the rule book yeah so uh, i i had just thought up up until you just said that i just thought that that was actually onside yeah well i saw two two different feeds and uh, analyses of it uh, one from the official premier league feed had him dead level uh, and then the BT Sport graphic had him just off. So, you know, marginal either way. Uh, and he actually finished it reasonably well. And he had a few other shots, really. He had um, four shots in total, two off target, two on target. Uh, it was only the second game in the last 21 that he's managed more than one shot on target. Wow. Uh, it's, fri- it's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening what's happened to Wayne Rooney. And uh, people still hoping for him to come good. The problem is, I think, really, with Rooney. Even if he comes good, I don't know what that looks like anymore. I don't think Wayne Rooney coming good means what it did even two years ago. No, and and in the bigger picture, of course, even if he comes good and has that burst of goals that you know we know he does, he's going to have a, a dry spell as well. And in the current setup of United's squad um, and the way that United are playing and the other options that is going to screw the club, right? So there's going to be a burst of games where he scores nothing and United are going to struggle to score goals and we won't be playing mediocre opposition, we'll be playing top opposition and United will get knocked out of the Champions League or drop points in the Premier League that are crucial. Yeah, and, and it's this this is not to say that all United's woes at the moment are uh, Rooney's fault by any means. I felt like yesterday was a day when frustration with the manager reached a, a new level, not a kind of like, let's fly 
plain banners over the stadium level. I think I don't think I think Van Gaal would have to go quite a long way to get to that point. But the, the Stratford End just kept chanting attack, attack, attack when United were in possession with 20 men in uh, Newcastle's half. You know, it's like we are attacking. This is what attacking looks like now. You know, it's not uh, the first 20 minutes. We looked quite bright and lively and there was a little bit of space in behind Newcastle. Um, but that went away and, and it was all about trying to attack by in Van Gaal's way. But but I think some of the problem was United's response to Newcastle's changes, right? So in the first half, there was quite a bit of space for United and um, Newcastle sat off and allowed United to to have a, a lot of possession into quite deep areas of their territory. In the second half, Newcastle changed that, right? And they pressed high up the pitch and they did that to try and break up United's rhythm. And they did it very successfully. United's response to that was to go a little more defensive and, and or, you know, seeking more control. And it was the wrong one. It was the wrong one. You know, they moved Rooney back into midfield and Hernandez up front and brought Carrick on for a Schweinsteiger. So it just shifted everything a little bit backwards of focus. Um, and I thought Van Gaal got it wrong. And, you know, and that's not by any means saying, well, he's a terrible manager and therefore we need to sack him. That's just saying, I- I'm not sure his response to United being quite toothless has is quite right at the moment. I think we're too cautious. Yeah, that's exactly what the next thing I was going to say was. Herrera spent 10 minutes warming up on the touchline too before Valencia came on. I guess that must have been a fitness switch uh, for Damien um, because there's, I don't see why he would have just warmed Herrera up to just taunt the crowd. Um, here's what you could have won. But yeah, the, the pre-programmed substitution was Schweinsteiger for Carrick. That was obviously pre-planned just as the Schweinsteiger for Carrick changes have been so far and it is the as you said perfect they're job sharing which in a lot of ways is is wonderful because those two job sharing is brilliant for both of them presumably but this was not the game for the job share this was the game to bring Herrera on alongside Schneidlin you're not losing anything defensively that you need to worry about because a, Schneiderlin's got it covered. B, the back four's got it covered. C, Newcastle are barely trying to attack. And you give so much more attacking purpose if you bring Herrera on in that moment. And and it was a really big mistake by Van Gaal. Now, he was happy with that game. Well, not happy, but he said he was satisfied. He was asked if he was worried about the striker situation. And he said, my job is to get us to... Do- my worries are about whether we dominate the game or not. And we dominated this game with dominated Bruges we dominated against Villa uh, those are my worries that's great I mean United had 70% possession but um, I mean you know to get old Michael Owen on us how many how many saves did Tim Crawl make I mean he actually made eight although a lot of them were straight at him from long shots um, so it's you know that says nothing about the quality of chances United were creating and and in truth United didn't get into the right positions often enough. And when they did, the ball in wasn't very good. So Yanazai fluffed a couple of really good opportunities from the left when he drifted out there. Um, Memphis's final ball wasn't great. You know, he didn't have a, a, a wonderful day at the office either. So he's not, you know, we don't, we don't have to abstain from criticism there either. And things just broke down too often. And a lot of that, of course, was Newcastle just retrenching into their own sort of, you know, 18-yard box near the end of the game. A lot of it is also the balance of United's team. 
And and I think a lot of fans were, well, I know a lot of fans were very worried and kind of uncomfortable with Van Gaal saying he was satisfied by that performance because watching it didn't seem a very satisfying performance. It was like, yep, this is great. We're two thirds of this is wonderful. You know, okay, Newcastle hit the bar. That was a bit shaky and they had that chance really late on. But for the most part, we nullified any potential threat from them, kept the ball wonderfully. Last This time last season, it didn't look like the players had a clue what was going on in the system. Now the players look like they very much understand the system and are very much executing it. But there's a huge problem in the final third. And, you know, against Bruges, distinctly weaker opponent, we still required two moments of individual brilliance and a late header to, you know, which is, it's a big thing to draw upon, isn't it? It's not like the team carved out a bunch of easy chances or whatever for forwards. It required a lot of individual skill. Um, and then against Newcastle, I think I would say maybe, what, two really, really, really good chances. The Chicharito one, which Krull had to save with his feet, and the the volley from Mata from the, the looped cross that he kind of blasted over. Maybe I'm... Oh, Smalling hit the post as well, didn't he? So, yeah. So those, those are maybe the three really, really good chances in that game. It's, it's the Hernandez one you'd expect him to score. I mean, that is just his chance, isn't it? How bad was... I haven't seen the replay of it. How bad was the finish compared to how good the save was? So, so if you... If you- took the goalkeeper out of it he he rolled the ball straight at the keeper right 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 (laughs) uh, I mean it should have been lofted and into the corner um then again you know it was just under his feet so it's a difficult finish to make and uh he's got into space well he's just uh you'd expect a slightly better finish further into the corner and a bit more lofted so yeah uh those are the big problem areas and and there are some positives to that Newcastle game. Like it is, it is good that the players know the system. It is good that the defense looks like a proper unit. And for twenty minutes, I was thinking this really looks like a team. You, you swap out a couple of key personnel in that team. You move matter inside. You put someone else there instead of Rooney and have a proper right winger. And I think that really does look like a, a team that could do quite a lot. Really, it would be nice if there was a bit less caution from Van Gaal in terms of the midfield when we don't need that caution and home to Newcastle is surely not a game that we need two holding midfielders all the way through the game. But I guess he's not going to change. And the the one thing that I was thinking leaving that game was, my goodness, the next guy's got a much easier job on his hands. Because like, the guy that came after Moyes comes after Fergie, got all everything that that involves. Total nightmare of, uh, you know, psychological collapse that happened around that club. Van Gaal's got a hell of a job on his hands because Moyes has like wrecked the joint and left it all smashed up and whatever. Um, the next guy is going to come in to find this like super well-drilled team desperate to be let off the leash. You know, it's going to be a joy for them. But uh, that's a couple of years off yet, hopefully. So uh, be quite good if Fangal got something right between now and then. It would be, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I suspect it will get better through the season. So I, I feel reasonably optimistic that there's enough groundwork. So for... 20 minutes against Bruges and, and 10 minutes at either end of the game against Newcastle, United started looking a bit more like United. So there's there's some enough cause for optimism that, that the defensive side of, of United's game is fixed and we just need to find the right balance in attack. I don't think this is going to become... 
Borussia Dortmund 2013, you know, playing <laughs> no, heavy never. metal. It's just not going to be exciting football. I think United, the best we hope for is a very good functional side. And of course, a very good functional side won the Premier League by miles last season. So it's certainly a team that could end up winning things, uh, not as it's playing right now. I mean, as we're playing right now, I think United won't score more than 65 goals this season. You know, so something has got to change in order for that to happen. And 65 goals is going to get United fourth or third. And, and you know, it's, it's not what anyone wants, right? So, and it's, it's quite reasonable to say United could finish fourth this season and it might be a comfortable fourth, but would that be good enough? So something does have to change. The Wayne Rooney suddenly has to pretend like it's 2004 again. Seems unlikely the way he's treading water at the moment. Or we have to take the brakes off a little bit or, we, or maybe some magic will happen in the transfer window in the next week or so. Yeah, um, I do a couple of Twitter questions. Of course, we're back to having four matches to cover, which is very exciting. After I've kind of forgotten what this is like having European games. Well, wasn't it nice to have Europe back at Old Trafford, Ed? It certainly was. Oh, it was really good. Luke Shaw's face during during the Champions League music was an absolute picture. You could just see him going, oh, this is brilliant. I'm in the Champions League. Yeah, no, it, it's great. It, it's... Um, it, it breaks up the monotony of the Premier League, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, Knights at Old Trafford are, are, it's an awful cliche, but they are special with the Champions League on. So it's really good. Of course, my brain couldn't cope with it because I had to record the intro to this show about 57 times <laughs> uh, because I couldn't cope with the fact that we had four games to talk about. I <laughs> um, can't remember who it was, somebody, I think it might have been uh, Man United 24 on Twitter saying that the game against Newcastle was a, a classic example of why we need midweek games. Because just to have another game to get that game out of your system and not have to wait seven days for the next one uh, or, you know, eight days because the next league game's on a Sunday. It just makes so much difference that there's a game to kind of get straight back into action. And I think it was probably good that we were out of Europe last season in terms of some of the drilling and defensive solidity building that went on throughout the season but I think this season we need that two games a week match rhythm because we've got the squad for it we've definitely got the players for it and and you know I think it would be very it's kind of an obvious thing to say but qualifying from the group stages is going to be really quite important and it's not necessarily going to be easy because the draw if we get through the draw is going to be pretty tough because um, we're in pot two right yes yeah uh, although there are a couple of weaker sides in pot one so um there's still an opportunity to not get lumped with real madrid or barcelona or juve so or bayern uh, so yeah we'll see i mean the, the likelihood is you know i'm Plus, there are actually some good teams in other pots. Uh, they, they, I was going to call it pot three. I don't think they call it pot three. Yes. But anyway, um, there's, um, there, that's to come uh, soon, I believe. End of August, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's going to be very exciting. Uh, I'd expect United to get through to the, the group stages now. I mean, just can't see United conceding twice uh, against that Bruges side. It seems unlikely. You just don't need to have any ambition here. Uh, talk about a game that's perfectly suited for this United side controlling ball possession and and um, and not conceding goals. Yep, and we'll come on to a bit of a preview of that in a few minutes. At Man United Youth, lifelong lifetime friend of the rank cast guaranteed status says, if you had to put a percentage chance on us winning the league under Van Gaal at some point, what would it be? I think this is a very interesting question. It's 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 this season or next, right? Because I don't think he's going to extend his contract. I think the percentage chance of us winning the league this season is very low. And I think the percentage chance of us winning the league next season is reasonable. Because you have to assume that somewhere 
there's going to be some big movement in the transfer window. And I guess that's uh, something worth talking about now, really, because we, we've not signed Pedro. I was pretty confident that we'd be talking about Pedro at United and what that meant during this podcast. But no, Pedro's gone to Chelsea because for some reason that nobody understands, except for it seems like maybe United are idiots, but maybe Pedro's rubbish. Who knows? There, there's no other possibility. It's only one of those two possibilities as far as modern football is concerned. I thought United were not interested uh, in the player at all, dis- despite the fact that um, many, many sources, including Andy Mitten, so, you know, not just uh, not just your typical red tops here, say that United were most definitely interested for a very long time and couldn't get the deal done. I mean, couldn't get the deal done is super weird, isn't it? It's more like wouldn't get the deal done because the deal was doable, right? Everybody knew the amount of money required. It wasn't a huge amount of money. The rumours going around is that United were outbid by 2 million euros. It's not, this is, or maybe even pounds, I'm not sure which, but either way, it's a drop in the ocean of the Manchester United financial muscle. What do you think has gone on here? It's all guesswork here, right? I have no inside track on this. United weren't quite sure, were thinking about other targets. He was a fallback option. They didn't want to pay all the money. They negotiated on the money. They had a certain price they thought was okay. Chelsea were waiting to see if if a deal didn't go through with someone else and, and did a deal apparently in like an hour. So, although this is odd, you know, because when United did the deal for Memphis, they were waiting around, uh, hoping to wait another year for, for the Memphis deal to go through. You heard that Paris Saint-Germain were interested in did the deal in less than a day. So it's not like they can't move quickly when they want to. So that lends some credence to the view that uh, United weren't 100% on this one because they spent an awful long time waiting for it. Um, and and negotiating whatever price they thought was fit. The problem with that is, of course, if United do go into the new season without having landed some of the fanciful targets that are currently being talked about, Bale and Neymar, then then it's going to look uh, it's going to look like a pretty shoddy piece of business. This, you know, and look, we've got to put it in some sp- perspective actually, because United's summer transfer dealings have been pretty good. You know, Schweinsteiger we now know cost just six point three million pounds. Wow. What a deal that was. Uh, Darmian at 12 million looks like a complete bargain. You know, just a top class right back and didn't, you know, in, in the current market didn't pay very much yeah. and then paid big money for Memphis. Hugely exciting forward. And, and Schneidlin, who will, you know, 27 million does feel like a premium there, but to claw him away from Southampton, that's what it took. And so actually um, having sold... A few players, including Di Maria, you know, United's United's total outlay isn't very much at the moment. So it's looking like a very smart window. Just a couple of big holes in the squad that that could be filled. <laughs> I like the way that you said total outlay there, thus avoiding using the words net spend. Don't talk about spend, fella. Talk about net spend. I hadn't seen that, and uh, and I, I uh, without thinking, put it in a tweet. And of course, you know, five hundred people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the, the reality is, in this situation, actually, it's vitally important to talk about net spend because everyone's going, oh, Van Gaal's spent £250 million and United aren't any better. Like, first of all, United are a lot better. like A lot, a lot, a lot better than they were. They've still got a nil-nil draw at home to Newcastle in them, but it doesn't mean they're not better. But anyway, secondly, like they've won a, a big amount of that money has just been shipped back straight back out and got most of the money back you know basically took Di Maria on loan for a season for 15 million or whatever and just that's you know it's unfortunate but 
but the reality is like we just haven't spent any money at all this summer when you look at it and when you look at the wage bill as well the fact that like who's gone off the wage bill the list is vast of of the amount of money that's must have been saved off that so there's there's room in the squad for a galactico but this idea and and maybe that's why the pedro deal wasn't that he wasn't totally sold on the pedro deal because he thought he the club they thought that they could do better whether they can or not, I, I just don't see it. I don't understand how. I mean, the Neymar thing is, is <laughs> it's I can't believe it. It feels like it's not worthy of serious discussion. It's so blindingly stupid. But, you know, apparently it's a real thing. Who knows? What do you think? It can't be real, can it? We can't be trying to buy Neymar. No, uh, I, I do not think this is real. At all. I, I, there is absolutely no reason uh, Barcelona, under a transfer ban, uh, will sell one of their three best players to United. They don't need the money. Uh, so, no, absolutely not. No no chance whatsoever I will eat a uh, food-based hat <laughs> if, <laughs> if this ever happens. Um, of course, Pini Zahavi was at Old Trafford yesterday. Pini Zahavi, uh, Neymar's agent, also the agent of many, many other players. A lot of Brazilians, uh, because he has a... Uh, a Brazilian agency as well as the the European one. Also, um, the agent of uh, Cleberson, currently 36 and playing for Indy 11 in the uh, North American Soccer League. Uh, maybe we're going to bring him back. Maybe so. Um, Seems as likely. Uh, yeah. Uh, the other two big targets, of course. Another bid for Muller, apparently. All right. Stop it, lads. Bayern Munich are just going to block Man United's number now at this point. Uh, I kind of feel like we're just ringing the switchboard. That's, you know, I think that's someone else's joke that I've stolen. I can't remember whose it was, but it does feel a bit like we're just every day Woodward sends a text to Bayern with another million on the end of it. Why would they sell Thomas Muller? Like, at what point do we have to, like, what's the financial thing? I guess, I guess at some point you could offer the player so much money he starts to think about, well, maybe, maybe I could live in Manchester, you know, but it just seems, it just seems as far-fetched as any transfers ever seemed, really, especially given we've signed Schweinsteiger. Well, look, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, are, along with United, are the, the four highest revenue-generating clubs in world football. So extracting a player from any of these clubs when either the player or, or the club don't want it to happen is, is near on impossible, right? So there's no amount of money that United can offer Bayern that makes any sense for them, really, honestly. Now, might might make sense for the player, I suppose. After a while, though, just adding more zeros to your annual wage packet makes no difference to your lifestyle, right? Yeah. Tom, yeah. Thomas Muller, is, when he retires, he's not going to need to work again. Ever. Um, And so, you know, what difference does it make if he's got 100 or 150 million in the bank? Yeah, well, no, this is a very sound point. The other one that won't go away, more stories just overnight. We're recording this Sunday morning. Uh, Bale. And Bale feels like a situation where the player coming back makes more sense. That's that's one where you can see Bale finally getting fed up with being whistled. And also there's, there's stuff about his family not settling in Madrid. I've no idea of the truth of all that. So logic there but 
Perez loves Bale. He's his big marquee signing. You know, the, the, the stories are that Perez likes Bale more than he likes Ronaldo because Ronaldo wasn't a Perez signing. Um, so is he really going to let him go to United uh, two seasons in and, and kind of have the season that have the transfer labelled a failure because Bale had a slightly below average season last season? Well, yeah, depends on the balance of the Madrid squad as well. They've just spent 40 million euros on Kovacic, who, who doesn't play, you know, wide by any means is kind of attacking central player but if he felt with Ronaldo and Rodriguez and Kovacic and and other players that 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 was a good attacking blend Benitez although he doesn't get really much say in the transfers I suppose then then it could happen I suppose yeah now this Bale feels more realistic than than Muller or Neymar for sure uh, simply because of, of all the things you've mentioned and and him not being a, a true favourite at Madrid. Also seems like, doesn't really seem like a player who might settle in a in a foreign land, you know. I'm, I'm, I know nothing about Gareth Bale. He may be a very uh, intelligent man. He was really excited about it. And I think he's a smart guy and I think he... Yeah, but he doesn't speak any Spanish yet, does he? So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm jesting, of course, but I, I'm not sure that he's taking to the... Uh, the Madrid lifestyle in the in the way that you know other players might. So that might be uh, one of the reasons United could get him. Uh, it still feels like a real long shot. It's also no way to conduct a transfer strategy. And strategy, you know, is a longer term thought process about where you're going and what you're going to get, or process in in Van Hal's words. And whereas United just don't half seem scattergun sometimes. And and maybe it's the magnification of of uh, social media and stuff that makes it feel like that. But, uh, you know, if, if Woodward sticks in 15 bids in the next week or so, and that fax machine is really working hard, then you'll know that it's just not really being thought through properly. Yeah, the the slight flip side to that is that actually you can afford to have one big scattergun target because this summer so far has had a real strategy in place. Key weaknesses in the squad have been addressed. Super players have been brought in for the medium, short and long term with the players that have come in. So I think I think there is a kind of platform of transfer strategy there, which does mean that you can then take a few punts as well, I think. Because it's not like last season where it just looked like we were just going like, anyone want to come to United? Do you want to come to United? Oh yeah, brilliant, you come to United. You know, it, it, this, this season it's like, right, we're going to, we're going to, target the key areas of the squad that need to be addressed or most of them at least uh, and then try and pull off a big signing as well yeah perhaps at man united elm says who has the better dress sense hashtag rankcast ed very straightforward answer to that question thank you for my memphis seven shirt by the way ed oh no problem thought i'd uh, improve your dress sense (laughs) and and the last one at phil megan interesting point this fans are missing the improvements why we're turning into an actual team fans are missing improvements because we're not scoring enough goals basically and not all fans are missing the improvements and not all of the criticisms that fans are putting out there are unfair either this is not an either-or situation, but I, I do think there is a slight lack of credit being given to the the improvements in our in the functionality of our football. Yeah, I mean it's it's well we've talked about it, so I'm not sure. Um, you know, we're certainly not missing it here. It, this is a much better team, um, but it's still a team that that might not get a lot more points um, because you uh, might concede less, but just might not score many goals at this rate. So. Um, and that's the problem. And it's also there's a lack of fantasy. Yeah. 
Um, and there's a myth that surrounds Manchester United that that there's always a lack of fant- there's always a fantasy uh, team and a certain expectation is at United and and for many many years that really wasn't the case. Nope. And you know and we've been sport through the Ferguson years and and late stage Ferguson where there wasn't a lot of fantasy either. No, after two thousand and nine. It was not until Van Persie came that there was any, really, was it? Right, right. And this is why a lot of fans are frustrated. So, um, And, of course, you know, United has this global, do we call it fan base or follower base? <laughs> uh, what are United putting out these days? 659 followers, million followers, you know, whatever. So, anyway, this global fan base and, and there's a certain level of expectation with casual fans, I guess. Is that the right way of describing it, of, of excitement and fantasy? Because... When you're a casual fan, there's excitement and fantasy in other places. Yeah, I have to say, to be fair, I think the kind of hardcore home and away travelling Reds would value a little bit more fantasy than there currently is in the side. I wasn't, I wasn't making that, <laughs> right, that right. contrast, right? I'm, I'm just saying, you know, there's a, there's a view when you start looking at, at social media, which, of course, you know, all the, all the major media outlets do as well, right? So they're yeah. getting their vibe there that uh, is amplified by... By United's huge global supporter base, right? Hardcore travelling fans also want some excitement, but but you know the the core of United's support was also actually quite behind David Moyes, right? So you know you do have this kind of polarisation of fans. The thing about fantasy and Fergie is, I was having this debate with someone who, again, I'm apologise, I can't remember who it was. They were saying, you know, Fergie, it wasn't like this under Fergie. It was more exciting, and I kind of said, well, after 2009, not really. And he said, we still scored a lot more goals. And that's a really fair point. That's a really fair point. Even when Ferguson's football was boring, there were very few seasons where we didn't score a lot of goals, you know, across the season as a whole. And so, yeah, that that is something that needs to be addressed. And I, I suspect it will be addressed. I guess we'll, let's do some previews because uh, I don't see massive shifts in personnel for the game against Bruges. As you say, that one should be relatively straightforward. I wonder whether Schweinsteiger will start again in that game or whether he'll go back to job share mode and it'll be Carrick that comes in first. In- interesting. I, I, I guess you want to give Schweinsteiger two starts in a row, right? Really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it just depends how much control he's looking for. I mean, because Schweinsteiger could play a little deeper than he did against uh, against Newcastle. You know, he actually, in at least in the first 20 minutes, he, he was the player pushing forward from central midfield, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, if I was guessing, I'd say that Schweinsteiger will start Again, just you know, try and get him the ninety minutes, but uh, but we'll see. I suppose I don't see any mega ambition from United in this game. There's no need for it, of course. I, I think it's a game where United go away from home. Uh, we know the system now, and they'll try and, and exert as much control as possible. Could be that Ashley Young comes into the team just for that reason, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, give Memphis a rest, maybe because he's played a lot of football, and I'm sure has expended an awful lot of emotional energy in his first few weeks uh, at United. So that'd be, that'd be interesting. I wonder whether there's any chance he'll rest Rooney. Seems unlikely, doesn't it? Because his policy with Rooney seems to be playing at all costs and never take him off, even if he's playing terribly. Yeah, yeah. It, it boggles the mind. Maybe there's something in Rooney's contract. I mean, seriously, maybe there's something in Rooney's contract. Maybe. I mean, it seems bizarre, but, you know, I'm willing to... I'm willing to think about that because uh, he's just so ineffective. I mean, I don't think he's going to be plain sailing, especially if we concede early, that starts to get a little bit 
wobbly, but but United obviously should have enough. That that third goal, absolutely vital, right? That's when... uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, can't even think about United being knocked out. My God, the Europa League. <laughs> it would be nuclear war in in uh, in social media world, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, the Europa League football. It's so inconvenient for the rank cast. It's untrue. Thursday, Sunday is a very bad schedule for us. <laughs> it is. No one wants Europa League football. No one wants Europa League. No, absolutely not. So let's assume we get through. Uh, and then the toughest league test so far, probably. Yeah. Now, White Swansea who are playing, you know, pretty well at the moment. and uh... Although, really poor result for them yesterday. Yeah. But yeah, a very good start to the season with a two-all draw against Chelsea. Beat Newcastle comfortably at home. Something that, you know, only the best teams in the league could possibly do because beating Newcastle at home is really difficult. Um, and then, yeah, drew with Sunderland. How do you end up not beating Sunderland? Well, I mean, it's kind of the way that you end up not beating Newcastle when you're the home side. It just <laughs> almost never happens. So, yeah, not not a great result for them. But, you know, they, they, were, they were very good in their opening few games. Uh, Swansea, Montero has stood out, you know, flying left winger. It'll be in Darmian's pocket, obviously, no problems there. Um, so it will definitely be a test for United, definitely. And uh, but but you know, United are actually set up very well going away from home at the moment. You know, very good structure. Um, defensively, I think you know, be very hard to beat. The attacking side of things on the break would be interesting, although you. you a, a good tactical test this one who's going to have more possession because uh, both teams that like to hog it they really do another test for Blint Gomez another physical presence really good in the air that's going to be tough there's plenty of pace in that Swansea side but yeah I mean, our defensive unit does look like it shouldn't be too troubled but where the goals are going to come from who knows uh, you, you maybe maybe see Memphis having a bit of joy on the counter-attack if we ever do we do get some counter-attacks in You'd imagine Yanazai will play in that one. Um, I, I, I suspect Yanazai won't play against Bruges, right? Because why would you why would you have a kind of high risk player in there uh, when you don't need to? But you kind of do need that against Swansea. Uh, I've got no idea how the pattern of that game will go. I, I think it's it is really hard to predict. But as you say, we should be set up well to deal with away games this this season. You wonder whether United's terrible away record last season is part of the reason that he's kind of drilling this system into him. Although this is what he, this is the system he played at Bayern Munich, right? So it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, United will match up well with Swansea because they, they pretty much play the same way at the moment with the two sort of wide players uh, around Gomez. Perhaps a bit more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Are Swansea better than our setup? But we're no. <laughs> no, 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 no. And no team that has John Joe Shelby in it is going to be better than United. Come on. Come on. But but they are, you know, they, they play with a lot of control of Swansea and they have some bright players. And IU's come in and done all right, hasn't he, already? Gomez is looking like a fine centre forward and Montero on the left so that you know they've got plenty of pace up front and then there's sort of this axis of Sigurdsson and, and Shelby in midfield which is given them plenty of control you know they had more than 60% possession against Sunderland as you'd expect create loads of chances and just couldn't finish you know so just a bit of a bad day at the office there but this will no doubt this will be a tough game for United and um, and uh, Daley Blint will get tested and and you just wonder whether United will just you know try and hog a lot of the ball and it'll be a bit of a dull game because that would suit United's 
pattern of play more than Swansea's. Yeah, fair enough. Very fair enough. And then there's an international break, so there won't be a rank cast before the game against Liverpool. I mean, it's not particularly useful to preview a game two and a bit weeks before it kicks off because there's all there's a transfer window is going to have shut before then. Bale, Neymar and Muller will be our front three for that one. But yeah, we are playing Liverpool and uh, beating them at home will be the absolute tonic for that nil-nil draw, won't it? That's our next home game. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I always enjoy a game against Liverpool, um, who've had a sort of interesting start to the campaign. I mean, obviously, they're, we're speaking before their next game. Um, they play Arsenal on Sunday, right? Yeah, beat Stoke away, and after the tanking they received uh, at the end of last season, then I suppose that was a good result for them. Not the prettiest of games, that one, and, and then beat Bournemouth at home, so... Um, not not the prettiest against that one. <laughs> not the prettiest against either, you know. So um, they brought a lot of players in. Uh, Rogers is still trying to find the right balance. He's he's got a lot of forwards up there. Uh, Benteke scored a really dodgy goal against Bournemouth. I mean, when uh, when they, that's the worst kind of refereeing decision when you just get the sense that the referee and the, his assistants just don't know the rules, you know. So the new rules about when a player is active doesn't it doesn't means they don't have to touch the ball anymore. They just have to be in an active zone. Um, and might impact on the defender. And, and clearly, one of the Liverpool players was about five yards offside. It's um, I'm glad they've changed that rule though. Because it always used to drive me absolutely mad. It's much clearer, actually. Yeah. It's much clearer. Although it does leave quite a bit open to the uh, officials' interpretation. Yeah. Uh, and when you're, they're given some room for interpretation, it's never a good thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Benteke will definitely be a test for Blint. I know we keep saying that. Kane will be a test for Blint. Rudy Gestedt will be a test for Blint. No one's a test for Blint. He's the best central defender in the world. But yeah, um, that's that's going to be fascinating to see. But it's a long way off yet. And I'm sure that'll be one that um, Reds are very excited about because uh, it's a huge game, isn't it? And, and the 3-0 last season at Old Trafford was probably pretty flattering to United. Uh, required some absolute heroics from De Gea and some whatever the absolute opposite of heroics are from uh, Brad Jones in Liverpool's goal. Feels like a lifetime ago, that game. The 2-1 at Anfield, obviously a much, much better performance from United and had the, the Steven Gerrard sending off in it. So last season went very well for us against Liverpool. So It did, although it was due. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd say since they tanked us twice under David Moyes, let's... let's uh... Let's not remember that. No. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd say this for Liverpool. They're in a shape that makes a little more sense. Rodgers played around with the formation so often last season, he almost did it more often than Van Hal, and that, that's some going. So they're, they're now playing a, a pretty standard sort of Premier League sort of 4-2-3-1 shape-ish. Benteke is a, as a, a you know, very good leader of the line. They've got a whole bunch of players who'll buzz around him, Lalana and Coutinho and Jordan Ibe, who's been doing really well, and the new guy Roberto Firmino. So they've got, you know, plenty of attacking talent that can support Benteke. I'm not quite sure they've got the balance of that right yet in the opening two games from what I saw. And then then they brought in some experience in Milner in central midfield to go alongside Henderson. So they've got the basis of a decent side there. Decent. I'd still bet heavily against them making the Champions League this season, but that, again, will be another test for United. You know, and so we'll have the international break, um, but it's it's two mega games for United in a way. Away at Swansea, very difficult test, and home to Liverpool in, you know, after the break. And... Um, a real test of how far United have progressed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm very optimistic about that Liverpool game at home because I think we are 
we are, we will play well against big sides again this season. I think that mentality is in the squad. I think we need those big games. I think I think the aftershock of Moyes is still being felt, you know, and and the the confidence just evaporated out of the club. And now there are a lot fewer players around that kind of lived through that, um, and that's kind of relevant. But I think I think United's current identity needs needs us to play well against big sides because when we don't play well against teams that sit well we play well but we have big trouble with the teams that come and sit back and defend and the, the smaller sides tend to do that and those are the teams that give us the real problems and any team that gives us space is going to probably suffer for it you would think especially if we could do something about what's going on up front so that's uh, an hour of Manchester United conversation I hope you've enjoyed it uh, we'll be back for another one of these after the international break. It's always such a downer, isn't it? The first international break of the season comes so soon. Just getting, just getting into it. Just starting to get the ball rolling. But yeah, we'll be back in in a couple of weeks after the Liverpool game, I guess. In the meantime, we're both on Twitter. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can go to unitedrun.co.uk. Read what I've got to say on the Bleacher Report if you want to. Also, if you need any sound engineering stuff done whatsoever, contact at Tej Sound on Twitter. Uh, thank you very much, Tom, for all your hard work producing this podcast. Yes, thank you. And uh, well, what, what can we say? It was a very dull game against Newcastle. Uh, it was much better against Bruges. Uh, I expect United will. Uh, go through in the Champions League, which is all that is required. It's not going to be that exciting over in Belgium. I'm pretty sure about that. And then a real, real test at Swansea City. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed for all those. Absolutely. Uh, let's predict Bruges, Swansea and Liverpool. 1-1 one, one in it's Bruges. Ridic- yeah, OK. 0-0 nil, nil at Swansea. Oh, blimey. And a 2-1 win against Liverpool. All right. The, the predictions against Liverpool are just, they're, they're based purely on absolutely nothing at this point because we've got no idea what the team's going to look like by then, injuries and all that stuff. But uh, I'm going to go nil nil against Bruges and 2-1 win over Swansea and uh, a 15-0 win over Liverpool. Come on, United! Very good, yeah. Uh, you can put some money on that one then, that 15-0 win. Uh, no, I don't gamble, you know that, Ed. And if I did, though, uh, I'd, be, I'd be lumping on 15-0. All right, that's it. We'll see you after the international break.